crossroads of empires, battleground of the ages, city of peace and of war. This is Jerusalem, where archaeology uncovers the empires of yesterday, where prophecy decodes the headlines of today. This is where history and prophecy come alive. This is Watch Jerusalem. Hello and welcome back to Watch Jerusalem. I'm your host, Brent Nuktagal. We are coming to you today from Jerusalem, Israel. If you'd like to send some feedback, you can do so by writing your emails to letters at watchjerusalem.co.il. Right now, the nation is absorbed in the ongoing protest over the nation-state law that passed a couple of weeks ago. There was a massive protest in Tel Aviv yesterday evening over the adoption of the law that saw anywhere from uh, 30,000 to a quarter million people uh, they're protesting. That's that's the depending on which newspaper you read. That was the variance uh, in the number of attendees. Uh, but you please go back and listen to the program from two weeks ago, where we talked about this law in the context of the naming of the state of Israel 70 years ago. And just one quote from um, Tel Aviv Mayor Ron uh, Huldai from from yesterday uh, at the rally last night, which kind of brings into attention what we were talking about in that program. He told the audience that that until this nation-state law passed, Israel was Jewish and democratic. And then he said this, quote, The law in its current form does not see all its citizens as equal and empties the concept of Israeliness. Israeliness, and that's that's interesting. What is Israeliness? Um, we all have the ideas of uh, different ideas of what it means to be Israeli, I suppose. Um, and he said that whether you're basically Jew, Arab, Druze, uh, or Druze, you, we are all Israeli. And now we have this basic law that says that Israel is the Jewish state, and the minorities don't feel a part of this new state of Israel, this state of Israel, because of this law. Now, it's interesting because had Israel called itself Yehud or Yehuda or Judah uh, 70 years ago, which was one of the options that they were tossing around, we wouldn't be having this debate right now because intrinsic in the name of the state, if it was called Judah, would be the fact that it's Jewish. But instead, they chose Israel, a name that does not reflect accurately the more specific tribal affiliation of the Jews. And therefore, they are right now trying to come up with and deal with what it means to be Israeli. Now, if you want to hear more on those details, please go back and and listen to that program. Again, it was titled, The Modern State of Israel, Jewish, Israelite, or Both. For today's show, though, I want to talk about something more history. Well, but that was history related, but this is also going to be history related as well. Um, But we're going to go back into a bit more history from about 2,600 years ago. This really interesting time period where the ancient nation of Judah, from which the Jewish people today descend from, was going into captivity. Two weeks ago, an article entitled Judean Life in uh, Babylonia was written by Dr. Dr. Laurie Pierce and was published at uh, thetorah.com. It's a really fascinating article, and I'll leave a link for it 
Um, some of it's a little bit dry, but you might enjoy it. So I'll leave a link in the show notes for you um, in case you want to read it yourself. But I thought it was a fascinating article because it, it drew attention to the history of this time, specifically when the Jews were taken into captivity from Jerusalem as it was falling in the in the three different waves of captivity um, in the in the early sixth century. They were taken into Babylon, but what were they doing? What were they doing there? How did they live? Was it really a captivity? Uh, did they go in chains? Did they did they were they bound in prison in prison camps when they're in Babylon? Well, this article brings out that we have a lot of evidence right now, separate from the Bible, that they thrived. The Jews thrived through this captivity. They had large families. They were given freedom to involve themselves in agriculture, uh, different types of commerce. Many became merchants. And some were even given places in the royal court. Again, this is all details separate from what the Bible says. Now, we know that the Bible says that they were given these opportunities as well. But we have the evidence now from these different um, ancient tablets that have been uh, recovered over the past couple hundred years, really, but um, just being studied over the past couple of decades uh, in depth, that reveals that this actually happened. We have names of hundreds of Jewish people living in Babylon from documents and the area surrounding Babylon, from documents written at that time, really boring documents because they're normally about uh, different um, commercial interests, transfers of land, um, buying certain things or not buying certain things or owing certain things. Nevertheless, we see this proof of a large Jewish um, people that have settled in the region around Babylon and that were thriving. Now, you could say that this is evidence of the resilience of the Jewish people. We were taken into captivity and we still thrived. But really, the, the prosperity of the Jews in Babylon was actually prophesied and ordained of God. It was prophesied, of course, by Jeremiah. And we're going to look about at that uh, in the second half of today's show. But really, as the Bible's clearly shows, and as these documents that we'll get into show also, if you got to go to Babylon, you're actually escaping the very worst of the suffering in Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar was coming. There was a 19-year period in which Judah was basically beholden to the Babylonians before Jerusalem finally fell, and the Jews were taken in waves into Babylon, the first going really early. Um, Daniel and his, his friends and others were involved in that. The second um, involved uh, Jehoiakim or Jeconiah. He was the king that was actually taken into captivity with, with some of the royals and a lot of the, um, the more uh, the artificers as well. They were taken into captivity. And a lot of the people, I believe, that were listening to Jeremiah, the prophet, warning, they were taken into captivity as well at that time, until finally you had the last batch there that had to suffer through a year and a half siege in Jerusalem. Absolutely horrific, horrific conditions. And those people didn't go into... Some of them were taken in chains, but most of them, a lot of them died. And really, if you got taken into captivity early, that was a blessing from God. And that's what Jeremiah says. Um, and that's what these documents detail as well. Now, 
a lot of the details written on these tablets um, found around Babylon from the Jewish community in Babylon, surrounding areas, as I said, they're quite mundane, um, considering they are mostly business contracts. And I'll, I'll give you just an example. This is from not the article that um, I quoted to, to you or mentioned before, a different one. This is written um, by Lawrence H. Schiffman. Um, and he wrote this two years ago. This was describing, he wrote this as a report that came out just as the Bible Lands Museum here in Jerusalem were, was having this exhibition about um, these documents that were discovered um, in the area of Iraq previously, but now we finally have, we know what they say. He said this, what is, uh, what is really in these tablets? What do they tell us about the life of our ancient forefathers? The texts in the now-published David Surfer collection are dated using the names of the various rulers between 572 and 477 BCE. So 572, we're going just 10-plus um, uh, years, just over 10 years from the time that Jerusalem finally fell, all the way through to 477, and that's uh, 15 years before Nehemiah came back, um, uh, Nehemiah, of course, there was already a Jewish a Jewish people um, here coming back from uh, Zerubbabel in 538. Um, but those are the years. So we've got about 100 years here of these documents. They come from soon after the destruction of the temple through the fall of the Babylonian Empire and, th- and its conquest by Cyrus the, the uh, the Great of Persia, and up into the Persian period. As such, this collection spans the years of the return of the Jew- Jews and restarting of the temple worship in Jerusalem. The most important thing about these tablets is most probably the names that occur in them. Here we have Jews undertaking business and personal transactions with other Jews, as well as Babylonians and exiles from other places in areas with significant populations of Judean exiles. We see how quickly Jews acclimated to the economic and legal conditions of Babylonia, engaging in a variety of business and agricultural activities while maintaining their identity. The maintenance of, uh, of names bearing traditional Jewish divine elements indicates Jewish identity and where we are able to trace generations, Jewish continuity, continuity as well. And so he talks about all these names that are discovered in these similar names to Nehemiah, Ezra, uh, Zechariah, uh, Haggai, maybe not the, the exact ones that we know from the Bible, but those names, those Jewish names, they exist in these documents. They exist there. And here is an example of, of, of one of those texts. Uh, it says this, this is dating from 550 BCE. Core of Bali are owed to Gamal, son of Bihimhami, who is probably a non-Jew, by Shelemiah, son of Nadavia. Very Jewish. <laughs> Shelemiah, that's, that's a name mentioned in Jeremiah and also a name mentioned in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. In the month of Sivan, he, Shelemiah, will deliver the Bali in its principal amount in the city of Abilu. Deliah, another Jewish name, son of Elushi, guarantees the delivery of the Bali. So maybe it doesn't sound so interesting, but you've got a, you've got a couple of Jews or, or uh, yeah, two Jews here that are delivering barley to this other individual that lived there. And notice what it says next. It says written in Yahudu, Yahudu, which is basically a translation of Judah town, written in Judah town in Babylon. There was a town called Judah town. 
And this is where a lot of the Jews lived, undoubtedly. They lived elsewhere as well. But the people that occupied this, this town mostly were made up by ethnic Jews. Now, what's interesting on this tablet as well uh, is that on the left side of this tablet, there are incised five letters, Shin, Lamed, Mem, Yud, Hey. And they are, or Yud, uh, Yud Hey obviously is, is um, Yahweh. And so that's in there. But these are actually written in the Hebrew script, Paleo-Hebrew script, ancient Hebrew. You've got most of the text, or all the text in these things are actually written in um, a cuneiform. But then you have incised to the left of that an actual ancient Hebrew inscription. But more about this um, town called Judatown, um, Babylonian Al-Yahudu is, is how it's written in Babylonian. This is from another article by Pierce. She said, uh, Dr. Pierce says this, a settlement called Judatown, Babylonian Al-Yahudu, was unknown until the 1999 publication of a single administrative text written there in 498 BCE. Since then, a group of 44 administrative and legal documents written in Al-Yahudu have been identified and published. These texts, along with approximately 160 texts written in nearby towns, provide balance to the known documentation now attesting to the lives of the lowly as well as the high-born Judean and other Western Semitic exiles in rural as well as the previously documented urban landscapes from the start of the Judean exile to the time of the rebuilding of the temple and beyond. So, uh, as the doctor writes here, we've got this town called Al-Yahudu, and we have 44 documents that we know were written in this town. And we can tell this is an agricultural town. We had previous documents that were discovered a long time before these ones were um, that documented the, the Jews living in the more urban settlements. But now we have an actual settlement in the country called uh, Yehuda Town. These, the dates, uh, continuing here, the dates of these earliest texts from El Yehudu mean that there is now. A, a nearly seamless continuum in documentation of Judean presence that extends from the destruction of Jerusalem through the early part of the Persian reign of Xerxes. And so, or no, I'll just continue, near Al-Yehudu lay other towns named for other individuals of Western Semitic origin. For example, Bit Nasa, the estate, the estate of Nasa, and Bit Abiram, then there's another one, the town of Nar-Kabara. The town of Riba kabara is of special, special interest as the component Kabara parallels the name of the river Kibar. And so we have another town next to this, which is right by the river Kabara, which is probably the same as Kibar, which if you've read the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel went into, into Babylonian captivity in the second wave. And he received some of his visions where? By the river Kibar. And we have this town. And you can see that in Ezekiel 1, verse 1 to 3. And so this, this, this riverway, um, this, this waterway extends all the way through Babylonia to Susa, um, or Shushan, and that features in the biblical history of, of Artaxerxes as well. And so you have all these records coming up that seem mundane, but you look at the names and they're Jewish, you look at the towns, in some cases they're called Jewish town, and in some cases they are direct parallels of names of towns that we know that these individuals from the Bible went to. And so this, this is dramatic. 
Then Dr. Pierce writes this, Judeans of El-Yehudu, or Judatown, inhabited the countryside and participated in the activities and business of elk agriculture. The record of the Judeans at El-Yehudu corroborates the depiction of Jeremiah's words, quote, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit. That's what Jeremiah said in the letter that we're going to cover in the next segment. To the people living there, to the people that had just been taken into captivity. And he says, build up your lands. Build up your the people itself. Marry, have sons. Engage in agriculture. Engage in business. Thrive. And then after a certain amount of time, I'll bring you back to Jerusalem. I'll bring you back to Jerusalem. That's what the Bible says. And that's also what is being corroborated here. Uh, by these documents, again, 2,600 years old. We're going to take a short break, but stay with us because when we come back, we'll be discussing what Jeremiah said specifically, as well as the prophet Daniel and Ezra related to this time. This is Watch Jerusalem, where history and prophecy come alive. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome back. We're talking about the discovery of administrative text from ancient Babylon from 2,600 years ago that are incredibly boring, but not if you're into biblical history because they detail the history of the Jews while they're in Babylon and it matches so well uh, with the biblical text. And let's see that here in Jeremiah chapter 29. This is one of my favorite chapters uh, in the entire Bible because it captures a really important moment in history. But before actually we read uh, chapter 29, we'll read ver- chapter 24, a p- part of it, because it has everything to do with chapter 29. Now, it's good to remember that Jeremiah is not in chronological order. If you're reading it from the start to the finish, uh, there is going to be a lot of things that are thrown in there that um, are a little bit out of order. But Jeremiah 24 happens just before Jeremiah chapter 29. We see that here in verse 1. The Eternal showed me, and behold, two baskets of figs. So he's receiving a vision here, Jeremiah is, um, that were set before the temple of the Eternal. After that, Nebuchadrezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the princes of Judah, and the carpenters and the smiths from Jerusalem, and had brought them them to Babylon. So we've got this slice of time here just after Jeconiah and a lot of the other artificers and those that were good with their hands, good with trades, were taken to Babylon um, uh, into captivity already. And Jeremiah receives this vision of these two baskets of figs. One basket, verse 2, had very good figs, even like the figs that are first ripe. And the other basket had very naughty figs, which could not be eaten. They were so bad. And then said the, the eternal unto me, what sees you, Jeremiah? And I said, figs, the good figs are very good. The evil, very evil. They can't even be eaten. They are so evil. And again, the word of the eternal came, to, came unto me saying, verse 5, thus says the, the eternal, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so will I acknowledge them that are carried away captive of Judah, whom I have sent out of this place into the land of the Chaldeans for their good. This basket of ripe good figs pictured those that had just been taken into captivity to Babylon, the land of the Chaldeans. 
that that this is going to be good for them. Verse 6, For I will set mine eyes upon them for good, and I will bring them again to this land, and I will build them and not and pull them down, and not pull them down, sorry, and I will plant them and not pluck them up. It's time for them to come. They will get a chance to come back. And I'll give them a heart to know me, and for I am the Lord, and they shall know me and be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return unto me with their whole heart. And then it talks about these evil figs. They're going to be going down with Zedekiah, the last king in this final uh, siege of Jerusalem. They are not going. To, they are not going to experience the goodness of Babylon. It's going to be much harder for them. And in this, I, I think we ask, we see God's mercy being given to those that would repent, that would change, that God wanted to bring back to this land. So Jeremiah receives this vision. And then he's so encouraged by it because obviously if you're being taken into captivity, that might, that might be a downer. And it, well, it would be a downer for Jeconiah and all the others that went. And then God gives Jeremiah this vision and says, no, I've taken them there for their good. And so Jeremiah pens a letter, and that's chapter 29. He pens a letter from Jerusalem to be sent to Babylon just after they arrive there to encourage them about this revelation that God just gave him. Notice this now in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 1. Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders which were carried away captives. So this is history. This, this is, I mean, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible, Jeremiah chapter 29, 2,600 years old, but we're reading a history book right now. And we know that. We know that, as we covered in the first um, part. And the, the history of Jeremiah is just, even individuals in Jeremiah have been discovered in um, archaeological excavations in, in, is, in Jerusalem of late uh, as well. So this is documented history. Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders which were carried away captives, and to the priests, and to the prophets, and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. After that, Jeconiah the king, or this was after Jeconiah the king, and the queen, and the eunuchs, and the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the carpenters and the smiths, were departed from Jerusalem. And he sent it by the hand of these men. And this is what it said, verse 4. Thus says the Eternal of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Build you houses, and dwell in them, and plant gardens, and eat the fruit of them. Take you wives, and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there, and not diminished. Build yourselves up. Take, take wives... Get you get wives for your sons, beget uh, beget sons and daughters, be grow, thrive. Verse seven and seek the peace of the city, whither I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the eternal for it, for in the peace thereof shall you have peace. Verse 8, For thus says the Eternal of hosts, the God of Israel, Let not your prophets and your diviners that are in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. For they'll prophesy falsely. So just so you know, there's going to be some people there that are in, uh, in your midst that are kind of trying to deceive you. But listen to this. I've got a message from God. I've got a message from God. Verse 10. Verse 10 For thus says the Eternal, that after seventy years... Be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you. 
and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place from which I am writing Jerusalem. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Eternal, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you an expected end, that shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And you shall seek me and find me, when you shall search for me with all your heart. How beautiful that would have been to receive this letter from the hand of Jeremiah, or maybe Baruch writing this, that said that you are going to have a pretty good uh, turn of events here in Babylon. It's going to be better for you than those in Jerusalem. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you um, a lot of progeny, big families. I'm going to give you land to work as well. And after 70 years, I'm going to perform my goodwill towards you and bring you back. Bring you back if, if you cry out to me. Now, what's interesting about this is this 70-year period. <clears throat> it looks like this 70-year period started when the first captives were taken, Daniel. Um, Daniel was likely taken around 606, 605. 70 years takes you to around 536, 537, around that time, uh, 535. And that's around the time that Zerubbabel went back um, under the Persian, Persian Empire. And we know that happened from documented history as well, not just in the Bible. There was a Jewish remnant that came back. But notice there that there was this specific mention that the people in uh, captivity in Babylon, though they would be blessed, they should still be crying out to me. They still should be searching for me with all their heart and thinking, well, why did we have to be taken into captivity? Even though we did get to escape the, the harshest penalty, we should be meditating on why this happened, why God had to remove us from our ancient homeland in Jerusalem. Why did it happen? And then if you do cry out to me with all your heart, I'm going to bring you back to Jerusalem. Now, what's interesting is that we know of definitely at least one man that was crying out with all his heart because his cries are recorded in the Bible for us. You can go over to Daniel chapter 9. If you have that with you, Daniel chapter 9. If not, I will read it for you. And this this prophecy here or this, this chapter here takes place in the very year or just as um, we have the changeover towards the Persian Empire from the Babylonian Empire. Right at the end of this 70 years, this 70-year period that Jeremiah was talking about, Daniel, he was, a, he was a very old man at this point. He was probably 85 plus. He wouldn't go back to uh, Jerusalem, likely because of the fact that he was old and the, the three and a half, four month journey would be extremely taxing. And he had another a couple of years of visions to receive and prophecies to write down for us um, there. But notice that he still prayed that God would fulfill this word that was given to Jeremiah, that was written in Jeremiah chapter 29, and no doubt Daniel received a copy of that. No doubt he would have been in his early 20s when that letter came from Jeremiah and was, was given to the, um, the Jews in Babylon. This is what he writes, the first year of Darius, the son of Asherus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of years whereof the word of the Eternal came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So there was going to be this 70-year period, 
And then what would happen? Then it was time to come back, right? He understood this. Daniel understood this. And so he prays about it. And I, verse 3, I set my face until the eternal uh, God, Lord God, to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And he goes into this, this prayer saying how Israel or Judah had sinned and how they hadn't obeyed. Verse 10, we have, uh, neither have we obeyed the, the eternal our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. We haven't done it. We didn't do it right. And we have sinned against you. This is Daniel, an old man, with this intercessory prayer in, on behalf of all the Jews. Then he says this right down the end towards us after he's just just talking about the fact um, of the sins of the people. Then he says, verse 16, O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I beseech you, let your anger and your fury be turned away from the, the, your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are become a reproach to all that are about us. Now, therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplication and cause your face to shine upon the sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear and open your eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you for our own righteousness, but for your great mercies. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, hearken and do. Defer not. For your own sake, O oh my God, and for the city and your people are called by your name. And so right at the end of the 70 years, Daniel's praying that God would fulfill that word and let them return. And they would. They would. Cyrus would become king. And we can read about that in Ezra chapter 1, that they would be given the opportunity to go back. So just flick over to Ezra chapter 1. And I just want to cover this because there's some really important details here about that gives us insight into the Jewish um, community that was extant in Babylon that we were that we were discussing earlier from those artifacts, from those tablets. Ezra chapter one says this in verse one. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the eternal by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the eternal stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven has given to me the kingdoms of all of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people that are in Babylon that, was, that we read about that are writing those business transactions on those tablets that have been discovered? You there in Babylon, this region of Babylon, who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the eternal God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem. Really, what this is saying here in this verse is anyone that wanted to, obviously, if you had, you know, if you had become a slave because of your own actions, um, that would have been harder to get out of. But if you were living like the Jewish community in Judahtown, in Babylon, you could go back by the decree of Cyrus and go back and live and rebuild Jerusalem. But you know what? So many, so many didn't. 
we can look at the math here and, and there's, you go over to the next few chapters and there's about 42, 43,000 Jews that are going back. Seems like a large number. But considering the growth that they experienced in these 70 years while they're in Babylon and the thousands that were taken there from Jerusalem at the very beginning, there should have been far, far, far more. There have been some estimates as large as a million Jews living in and around the Babylonian Empire that could have, if they wanted to, come back and build Jerusalem. But how many answer the call? Yes, pray next year in Jerusalem. But when the opportunity actually came around to go, how many of them acted? Now, what we see from these documents, these uh, um, these little tablets that discuss the Jewish business activities and uh, just the living situation in Babylon, is that people were becoming settled. I mean, life was pretty good. You read the, the prophecy in Jeremiah, uh, build houses, work the ground, build your families. To 70 years of that, multiple generations, life is going to be pretty good for you. And so there were so many, so many that chose that they would rather stay in Babylon than come back to Jerusalem. I mean, it would be a tough journey to get there with your family, no doubt. And it would, it would mean uprooting everything that you've known because it, it had been a couple of generations. And you were going back to a city that needed to be rebuilt from the very ground upwards, desolate. Jerusalem was through the through this uh, Babylonian period. And so it would have been tough. It would have been hard. But that was the whole point, right? To come back to Jerusalem and build. That's what the letter of Jeremiah said. Now all these all these tablets they focus on the fact that and the writing about the tablets and the reporting of the tablets focuses on wow, what Jeremiah said actually happened. They did build houses. They did develop their um, economic system in, in Babylon. They did grow in number. And then they don't really read the next, you know, a few verses about or mention about how the people were to cry out to God and were to come back. We get excited about that history, the post-exilic period. I do, very much so. That's why I called my, my son Nehemiah, because I think it's just great, amazing history of those that came back who would knowingly enter into an extremely difficult situation. But it was Jerusalem. They loved that city. They fulfilled all of what Jeremiah's letter said. Build your houses, dwell in them, have children, then pray, and I'll answer you, and I will bring you back to Jerusalem. And some of them did do exactly that. And aren't we thankful um, that they did? Because without the Jews coming back at this time, without those faithful ones answering the call of Jeremiah, God's call really to them to leave their comfortable lives in Babylon and come back and build up this uh, city and this state again, I mean, I wouldn't be sitting in Jerusalem today. I wouldn't be sitting in Jerusalem today in the history, the history from Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah, all through the next 2,000 years would have been completely different. But even bringing this up to our day and age, God still wants us to choose Jerusalem, 
to have that same spirit of, of Zerubbabel, of Ezra, Nehemiah, those returning that wanted to raise the ruins, to build up the holy city. Those that were willing to forsake some of the, the comforts of the life that they were used to in Babylon in order to build up once again Jerusalem. Now, if you want to read more about what that would entail in our day and age, we have an article by our editor-in-chief entitled, Why You Must Watch Jerusalem. Uh, it's on watchjerusalem.co.il. I will leave a link for that uh, in the show notes below. So please go ahead and read that article. I'll also leave the links to all the other articles I mentioned on today's program as well. That's all we have time for today. Thank you very much for listening. Again, if you want to send some feedback, you can do that by emailing letters at watchjerusalem.co.il. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next week.